What's going on, guys? So today I'm sitting down with Steffi Cohen. I'm really excited because this is a conversation I've been trying to uh, have for a while. We've kind of had a little bit of back and forth, but she's finally here. And we're going to be talking about a really, really interesting dialogue that she actually is kind of spearheading at the moment uh, about women in the fitness industry. So first off, I want to say thanks so much, Steffi, for jumping on the podcast. It's great to have you here. And can you give a little bit of a, an intro to who you are and your background, just for some of the people who maybe aren't necessarily familiar with who you are? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you so much for inviting me on your podcast and for having me today. Uh, so for those of you who don't know me, my name is Steffi Cohen. I am a 25-time world record-holding powerlifter. I started my athletic career back in Venezuela, where I was born and raised, uh, playing for the national soccer team back there, and then bounced around a bunch of different sports, CrossFit, half marathons, eventually Olympic weightlifting, and then transitioned into powerlifting. And now I'm into boxing, I guess. I'm also the uh, co-owner of Hybrid Performance Method, which is a platform that's dedicated towards distributing affordable and accessible online workout programs that are centered around strength for athletes and the general public as well. Awesome. So... I guess we'll just kind of dive right in and uh, to, to frame the conversation, uh, I guess, so people kind of understand where this is coming from. You have been a, a really big sort of influencer in, in the fitness sphere and, and kind of even outside of that and a role model for, for women in general, uh, at least that's kind of my perspective on things. And you've led some really interesting discussions, especially lately around kind of like what it means to be a woman in within the fitness industry, as well as sort of like, I don't even know, um, maybe like the sexualization, the objectification of, of women, and then what your part is in that because you have a business and it, it's beneficial for business. And so it's been a really interesting conversation to kind of see how that's developed over, over the last little while. And so just especially given the, the sort of new path that you've been kind of pursuing right now, how has that changed your perspective and, and your brand and your voice within the industry? Okay. Yeah. So when I first got on social media and started doing this whole thing, it was, I was mainly using social or Instagram as a training log. I was just putting up my, my videos of my training and whatnot. Then that developed into more of a marketing tool for the you know, for the service that I was providing with hybrid and, and it developed into something that was more, I guess, cured or curated and pre-planned for the purpose of selling things, whether it's a apparel or training service or nutrition service in that process, you know, I felt, and I've always felt like that given that, you know, I come from a, a strong academic background. I got a doctorate level degree in physical therapy um, and I've always, you know, I've played professional sports at the highest level for my whole life. And I felt that there's a certain kind of standard that females in positions of authority and females in sports are have are, are kind of forced to adhere to um, just to be taken seriously. So I didn't even notice that I kind of like fell into that trap of like, because I, I'm the type of person that goes against the grain all the time. And I didn't even realize that I was really heavily conforming with some very strict societal norms about, about just, it could be simple things, the way that I dress, the way that I portray myself on social media, 
Um, you know, I don't know how to, how I communicate. Like it's very subtle things. I've noticed that, you know, something that I used to do was I would change my voice when I was talking about something educational or academic, I would lower my tone of voice and I would speak differently so as to be perceived more, you know, with a more authoritarian tone. It's just these little subtleties. And it wasn't until last year where I had, um, I call it an epiphanal moment, but pretty much I was, I met this couple, uh, their name is our Christina and Mike, and they own Orangutan Studios. So they do a bunch of photo shoots for girls for OnlyFans. And they grew up in the same town as me in Caracas. So I met them at a party and they offered me, they were like, oh, if you ever want to do a photo shoot, we'd love to have you. And when they showed me their work, I didn't know who they were. But when they showed me their work, I, I looked at it and I was like, I mean, those women are beautiful. Those pictures are amazing, but I'm not like them. I'm not sexy like that. You know, I just do my muscles and I do my bicep curls and the photo shoots that I do are with sports bras on and, and action shots and all about how jacked I can look, how athletic I can look. And that is it. Like I'm not definitely would not look good wearing a bathing suit posing like that. And they were very encouraging and they would just say, well, listen, if you're able, if you're ever interested and if you ever want to explore that side a little bit more, we're here whenever you want. So eventually I took him, I took him up on it. And I just, I just said, whatever, like if the pictures come out terrible, I'll just never, never, you know, we'll delete them, never use them, pretend it never happened. And it was interesting because it was my first time doing a photo shoot for something other than fitness. And it was my first time kind of trying some feminine poses as, as, as silly as that sounds, but putting makeup on and letting my hair down and, and wearing cute outfits and as soon as I saw just some of the pictures they were taking on their camera, like just as, as they were taking them, and I looked at myself through their lens, essentially was able to look at myself from another person's perspective, right? And it was so eye-opening because for the longest time I had been suppressing that feminine side at the expense of conforming with these societal norms in order to be taken seriously by the industry, you know, in order to, you know... I don't know, not be put into like the, the fitness girl category. I, I don't, I don't even know like exactly why, but look upon further, you know, I, I started internalizing what I was feeling and I started doing some research and I came across this uh, branch of sports psychology that studies uh, the female athlete. So it's called the female athlete paradox. And essentially what that is, is and this is this is the central topic for a uh, book that I'm writing right now. Mm -hmm. But essentially, what it is is uh, the dichotomy that female athletes have inside of their brain in terms of their identity. So you have one part of your identity that that heavily um, associates with your with you as an athlete. I'm an athlete, and what is the characteristics of an athlete? Are generally more masculine in nature right? Aggressive, assertive, bold, violent, you know, upfront. I don't know. Those are the characteristics that you would exhibit or traits that you would exhibit if you're kind of letting out your more, your athletic side. And then there's a the feminine side that obviously if you're a girl and you're an athlete, there's also that side. But because of society and be because you want to succeed and be taken seriously and, and be feared by your competitors, you completely neglect that side. It's also frowned upon to nourish that side, 
when you're a female athlete. It's something that for some reason is not accepted in society. You're either an athlete or you're a sexy girl. You cannot be both apparently. So it's a, it's a really difficult kind of internal struggle that most female athletes go through in that kind of tug of war that happens in your brain, because it's, it's natural for a female to want to feel wanted, to want to feel sexy, to want to, you know, be praised, to want to be told they're pretty and they're good looking and that their bodies look good or whatever. Um, but, um, but we all feel like we can't really go there. So we hide underneath really baggy sweaters and we ha hide with our backwards cap. Like I cannot tell you how many years I spent just wearing baggy t-shirts and leggings or, or joggers and backwards hats. And I remember the feeling like anytime a, a girlfriend had a wedding or whatnot, I would put on a dress and feel ridiculous. I felt like my body just did not belong in that dress. And my body looks exactly the same now. But it's just that shift in perspective that was so powerful and so empowering that, hey, listen, you know, I can be a badass athlete and I can also be sexy as fuck and it's fine. Now, obviously, with that comes, again, challenging, challenging uh, stereotypes and challenging societal beliefs and norms. And that always comes with a price. So within my little social experiment, you know, I've been uh, I've done three photo shoots now with, with uh, Mike, with Orangutan, and I've posted several, several of those photos. And this is what you were alluding to initially in our conversation about the discussion that I've been starting on social media. And, you know, it's really, the, the dialogue is really interesting, but what was most interesting to me was that every time I posted one of those photos, even though they got a high amount of exposure and engagement, they always like for that entire week, it led to a net loss of like 10,000 followers. Which was super interesting for me to see. There was a, a huge amount of followers. <laughs> yeah, I love every time I post a picture like that, I lose 10,000 followers. That's why I have to space them out. Even though, you know, I'm doing it for, there's reasons why, you know, I'm writing a book. I'm, I, I want to start a conversation around it. I want to open the topic for discussion. I want to see how other female athletes feel. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's really, it's severely negatively impacted my brand in some ways. Maybe those are people who are conservative, who have never seen that side of me and just are not, you know, are not about it. I don't know. There's definitely a group of, uh, a certain group of people or I'm, I'm out of people that are, that are accepting of whatever I want to do, but there's, you know, there's definitely some kind of really extremely dogmatic people that just don't want to don't want to have an open mind about that. So within that, you know, it's the whole topic of uh, sexual sexualization and objectification of females for the purpose of marketing and advertisement. You know, this is something that's been going on for fucking a hundred years. You know, we've, we've been using sex to sell products for as long as marketing has existed, right? For some reason, when it's a marketing agency or, or it's a, it's a, a brand, that's using a female, a sexy girl or a sexy guy, when it's them using it for the purpose of selling something, it's fine. When it's you using it, your own image to sell something or to get more exposure or to, so that you can get more opportunities because in this day and age, your social media is pretty much everything. So shame on you. Shame on you if you're a beautiful girl and you're using it to get more eyes on you. 
How could you? And it's funny because I used to be, I used to think like that. I used to look at, you know, these beautiful girls that had millions of followers and I would resent it. I'd be like, you know, I'm doing it the hard way. They're doing it the easy way, you know, shame on them for showing their tits and ass. And then I'm like, why? Like that is, that is marketing and advertisement. People use, people have been using these tactics forever, but for some reason, if you do it for yourself, it's frowned upon. Recently, about a month ago, there was a, a reggaeton artist. I forgot who it was. I don't know if it was J Balvin. I don't want to say the wrong name, but it was a reggaeton artist who, obviously, if you've watched any reggaeton videos, it's all, you know, the guy singing and then chicks with massive yeah, tits. Re- really oh, sexual, yeah. Super sexual. So one of the girls that appeared in that video started doing OnlyFans and started posting more risque photos after the, after she gained some notoriety from that video and he blasted her online like calling her a slut saying you know he just essentially making her feel bad for for switching her or or for exploring that side and making more posts that are that were more sexual sensual whatever you want to call them so i just found it really interesting and then that opens you know and this is a discussion that I'll obviously express my my personal point of view points of view and I'll likely interview more people that are in the field but it just becomes a more it's it's a I guess a, a moral and ethical question of okay where do you draw the line between um you know being sexualized or being objectified being vulgar being being uh, artistic and obviously I think all of that stuff is is subjective I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. I'll happily, you know, I'll happily write about what I think and, and, and speak about historically what's been thought and what people in that field think. But I don't know. I just think it's such an interesting topic of conversation and so relevant now with social media and OnlyFans. Um, and I just realized that that for some, you know, there's there's not, I haven't found a single book that talks about this the female athlete paradox and what we go through trying to juggle our identities. Sorry, that was super long-winded. No, it was great. And you touched on a lot of the great points. I've just kind of been making notes here. So you mentioned a handful of things. And one of the things that I really appreciated anyways, that I thought was sort of unique to, to the dialogue you were bringing up was there is a certain level of authenticity there, right? So right off the bat, I remember in one of your captions, like I actually saved it. I sent it to like a bunch of people. Cause I was like, this is legit. Because I remember you saying, like, I am doing this for, for, to get eyeballs. I am doing this for this. But why the fuck can't I? And I was like, obviously, you said it differently. But, you know, I'm just mm-hmm. kind of paraphrasing here. And I was just mm-hmm. like, wow, like, that's, that's actually authentic. And I, I think it was funny because there does seem to be this sort of dichotomy or this polarization where it's like, you can't, like, for some reason, wanting attention is bad. Like, in a relationship, if you want your partner's attention, that's great. It's totally normal. It's very healthy. But then if you want attention on social media or something like that, and attention could be a variety of different things to different people, then somehow it's really, really negative and frowned upon. And I understand there's a little bit of a spectrum there, right? Like someone who has secure self-esteem versus maybe insecure self-esteem, and, and they're kind of needing that social validation. But it's, it's, it's really interesting, and it's kind of really complex. And so the, the one thing that I really liked was the whole need to be wanted that you were bringing up. And that is seen as, as really inherently negative, which I don't necessarily think that it is, right? And it, it depends on, I mean, I guess like a whole host of things. And the second uh-huh. thing that I thought you 
said that was really interesting was kind of the burden of autonomy or authenticity, sorry, was the moment that you started doing these things, you started getting, you know, unsubscribes and people, you know, bailing on you. And I just kind of even every now and then I'll look through the comment section and see some people who are just kind of being dicks about it for no real reason. And that's kind of something that you have to go through, which is weird, right? Like anytime you're authentic, if it's different than what you're perceived, like what you should be doing, quote unquote, all of a sudden you get all this hate. And it's so funny because I honestly think that most people genuinely would agree with you. But then the public perception is, oh, I can't agree with her because that's, that's not, you know, that's frowned upon or whatever. And it's just like, why? Like we all, we all agree. Why are we all playing this game? Yeah, but it's so interesting because I've, I've, this has happened and it still happens to me, especially surrounding the topic of OnlyFans. There is the way that I feel about it internally. And then there's the way that my, like, it's almost like the way my heart feels about it and the way my head feels about it are completely different. Like, like this major my, cognitive dissonance. Yeah. My, my heart yeah. says, girl, go do whatever you want. Right. And my head says, shame on you. Yeah. It's weird but there's nothing to be shamed for but maybe it's just like years and years and years and years of listening to the same narrative that it just makes it really difficult for for people to be able to fully switch in their head i don't know but yeah within i i wanted to touch on uh, your second point the burden of authenticity i think it's interesting because most people are most people are afraid of of showing who they are and what they stand for and it even could be simple things like their their humor you know people hold back on it or or yeah political thoughts or it could be training things or whatever it is people are really afraid of being judged and afraid of being unfollowed and afraid of being um i don't know looking silly if they say something i was just having this conversation with hayden with my partner you know he is so funny He's hilarious. Like when it's nighttime and we've both had a couple of beers, he cracks the best jokes and he's so funny. And I'm like, Man, you should, you know, you should, you should use some of these jokes on the podcast. You're so funny. And he's like, you think like, what if I offend someone? And I'm like, man, honestly, if they get offended by a joke like that, like such a lighthearted joke, fuck them. Like you don't, those are not the listeners that we need anyway. But a lot of people are, are afraid of actually speaking up what they think but it, it does it does come with a territory you know I've, I've i've been a contrarian my entire life so i'm used to i'm used to the backlash that comes with it a, a funny story uh, uh uh on the side when i was 12 years old so i went to a jewish high school so when i was 12 years old remember they forced us forced us to go pray in the morning like it was like 6 30 a.m praying session whatever like you go with your your uh um your little book that has a thing and then you go in and sing for like half an hour or whatever. I remember going in one day and I'm just like, I have my book in my hands and I'm looking around and everybody's singing like robots. Right. And I'm looking around in Hebrew and I'm like, fuck, you guys have no idea what you guys are saying. So I went and bought myself one of those books that have the traduct, the translations. So it was the Hebrew. And then on the other side, it was, it was uh, in Spanish. And the stuff that we were saying, I'm like, Lord Almighty, all powerful, take my soul. I'm like, wait, 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 what the fuck is this? So it just got to a point. And it's not that I don't believe in God, you know, I, whatever. That's a conversation for another time. But I didn't like the fact that that I was being 
essentially forced to do something that I didn't even understand. So I went to the, to the, to my professor and I was like, listen, so cool. You know, I don't have anything against this, but I don't want to go in. I was 12. I don't want to go in. I don't want to do it. I don't want to read it. And oh my God, was that an issue? Got sent to a psychologist, to a counselor, but that's, oh yeah. Wow, it was, really? Yeah, it was I, mean, a I guess it's a religious school, but I, I'm surprised they would send you to a psychologist. Like what the heck? Yeah. Yeah. They thought it was weird that I was at that age that I was challenging that stuff. Yeah. But that's, that's so the way funny. That's the way I've been in my entire life. Yeah, you know, so I on on my podcast, I've I've had a, a handful of controversial um I guess episodes. So I had I had one of the uh, the experts who who recently who published the most recent uh kind of research review on um uh transgender athletes in competitive sports. Right, looking at at, at uh, biological differences and advantage, and whether or not hormone therapy um, kind of changed that, right? And not to really get into the details, but that that's obviously a very very sensitive subject, and doesn't necessarily matter, you know, what the data says. It's kind of like people have their own opinions and and kind of feel a certain way. Then I also had uh, an expert on COVID research come in because in in Canada the laws here are just like they're just absolutely crazy. Like they have curfews and stuff. They can get automatic search warrants to come into your house whenever they want. It's, it's really nuts. And so anyways, I had someone come in on the, on the episode and I remember um, I got kind of nervous about that myself. Cause I was like, Oh, I feel like people are going to take this wrong way. I might get banned. And like, I did start noticing that my post started getting removed from, from Instagram. Um, but I was a little bit nervous, but not too much. And then I remember like someone was like, man, how do you do all this stuff? And you don't really care. And then I remember like not too long ago, I took, you know, the big five personality test. Yeah. So I took that and I, I like, <laughs> I am complete on all the ends of the spectrum. Right. So I'm like 98 percentile for, for, um, oh, what is it? Um, gosh, I can't remember what the word is, but anyways. And then, and then for agreeableness, <laughs> I was in the zero percentile of agreeableness. And I was like, oh my God, that's so bad. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but, it gets me in trouble all the time. Yeah, yeah. But I was like, <laughs> oh, I guess I'm predisposed to just kind of saying whatever I want. So it's not it's got, it's got its benefits, but it's definitely got some drawbacks for sure. Um, but anyways, to oh, conscientiousness. That's the one. Conscientiousness. Yeah, yeah I don't know why Wait, I forgot that. I want to go back. So you said two things. One, being wanted. Two, the burden of authenticity. So on the topic of being wanted and, and wanting attention, what people don't realize also is that a lot of a lot of I guess girls and guys, but if you are building your social media presence for the purpose of either getting sponsorships, endorsements, or building your own brand, building your own business, attention is a zero sum game. You're essentially, you're competing for people's attention. And if I have it means that you don't have it. Right. And, and that's the game. That is the game that we, that we're all playing right now on social media. And it's, it, it has nothing to I don't think it has nothing to do with ego. It has nothing to do with being a narcissist and like wanting people to like adore you and tell you that you're beautiful. It really has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with trying to build your personal brand and trying to get business. That's it. Especially people with big social media presences. People are so quick to judge. Oh yeah. You're just doing it to because you want to, you're a narcissist and you're self-centered. You know how many times I've heard that? narcissist and self-centered and all you want is people telling you that you're pretty and you want sympathy and i'm like bro 
I want none of that. I have a boyfriend. I have a family. I have friends that are real, that I interact with in the day-to-day. I don't need that from random people on social media. That means absolutely nothing. What I need is their eyeballs and their money. That's the truth. Yeah. And uh, that, that's a great point because I think that this, the identical action can have two very different motives, right? And I mean, there are some times where it's kind of transparent, but at the same time, like, yeah, if, if you have a business, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to be like, oh, this is something that I'm just doing for me. It's this and this. It's like, you have a business. Like Coke does it, Nike does it, everyone does it because it works, you know? And, and yeah, I mean, you look at, um, what was it? Gillette. Gillette's the only one that I can remember that was kind of the most recent. I'm really not involved in like a lot of social media stuff. I have it because of my business, but that's it. But I know that they made a commercial to just capitalize on like the, the whole woke movement. And they were doing something that was like sort of anti-bullying or anti-men. I, I don't, I don't remember exactly yeah. what it was, but I know it had a really Ooh. negative response. Yeah. And, and it's like, that's just what businesses do. They look at trends and they try and capitalize on what's popular. And actually the funny thing too, is that people get so pissed off about this stuff, but it's like the Instagram algorithm literally just puts more stuff in front of you that you engage with. So if you're pissed off about negativity, it's like, that's you, (laughs) that's literally your decisions that are driving this, this, these posts that are coming up, you know? So it's, it's kind of funny. Yeah. And there's honestly, there's no such thing as bad publicity. Yeah. Some of, some of my yeah. times of biggest growth on social media have been times where I've got slammed by a bunch of people for who knows what. Like when I was, I remember the, the first time I deadlifted 525, I did it in, um, it was a, a seminar. I did it at the end just for fun. And- well, you didn't really do it. I mean, you used a deadlift <laughs> bar and straps and blah, blah. Yeah, <laughs> <Bumper> plate, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> controversial topic. That yeah. Was- but it was great because it was everywhere. Jason Blaha made a video. Kenny Ko, who the fuck else knows who? I think I'm pretty sure Kabuki wrote a uh, actually a positive article about me. Yeah. And I don't know a bunch of people, and it was great. Yeah, whatever. Well, that's Go- how I found out about you because I remember seeing that, <laughs> and I was like, I was like, no fucking way, this girl pulls that much. And I remember seeing the video, and it was like it was almost like an optical illusion at the time. I was just like, I know that I saw it. <laughs> but I can't process it. And then I remember reading the comments and everyone's like, Oh, well, it's a deadlift bar. And I'm like, are we seeing the same thing? Like, am I seeing the same thing as you? And, and you're still upset about the deadlift bar. I was like, come on, man. Like what, what's going on? Like, how much, how much can you lift? The straps in the bumper plates. They, they think that that automatically makes you able to pull that. I know. Well, it, yeah, it does add like 700 pounds to your deadlift. Yeah. Obviously. So yeah. At the very- it's funny. Cause I actually can't lift as much with straps as I can just hook rip. Like really? I just yeah, I just find that with straps, I can't get my lats as tight for some reason. I don't know why. So what, that's just what me. Uh, oh, I have the really nice one. They're like, um, it's like a little loop, and then you just kind of fold it over. Okay, it, yeah, I know. It's not the figure eight one. Okay. It's I like they were for they were for like the Olympic weightlifting. I I used them for that. Okay, I use leather ones. I find that those are I don't know. They're really they really grip the bar tight, so you can let loose almost like let loose of your of your grip and just focus on yeah the rest of it yeah anyways just kind of kind of get getting back on to <laughs> on the topic um 
how do you differentiate between objectification and admiration? Because a lot of the times it's, it's really difficult and it's so subjective. And I mean, you can say that someone's doing something for a certain reason, but you don't really know until you know them. I think it's, um, that's when personal choice essentially enters the chat. If you're choosing, if you're choosing to take those photos of yourself and you're choosing to put those pictures up on the internet, then whatever happens, you know, however people react to that, it's essentially their problem. If you're doing it for yourself and you're doing it, you're happy with it and you're, and you're, and you feel positively about it, then you can't really control how people are, how people are going to feel about it. Right. So if they want to objectify you, that's their problem. But it, as long as you don't feel like you're objectifying yourself, then it's okay. I think. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Um, especially with OnlyFans, things have kind of gotten really weird. And, and But it's funny because, if anything, OnlyFans kind of validates what you're saying in, in a way. You know what I mean? At least in my mind. Because it's like everyone's, everyone's like, oh, you're a hoe, you're a this, you're a this, if you have an OnlyFans. But then they create a fake account so they can sign up. And it's like, okay, like what? I, I don't know. I just, I don't get why people continue to play this like cat and mouse game and they like pretend, you know, it's, it's kind of like the whole masturbation thing. I know not to get vulgar or anything like that, but it's like, you know, someone gets caught because someone's like videotaping inside their house and they, they get caught masturbating or something like that. And it's like, Oh my God, that's disgusting. And it's like, dude, everyone does yeah. it. Yeah, you oh, do like, it everyone, like, how, how are you seriously going to sit here and like judge this guy for doing something in his house where some creep gets, you know, like, videotapes inside his window or something like that and it's just like it's so funny how how people just can be so i don't know like two-faced about these things right it's yeah like, oh my hands are clean yeah i mean there's always going to be people who are just, it's the background like how they grew up what their beliefs were growing up and it's usually just the more conservative people that view that as something that's frowned upon you know using your body to in exchange for money in, in any way, shape or form, whether it's pictures, videos, chatting, you know, I think there's always going to be a subset of the population that will never accept that. I know my mom is one of them. You know, my mom, every time I post one of those photos, she doesn't talk to me for like two weeks. <laughs> yeah. Just super old school. Super old school. So I think, you know, there's something to be said about that, about it, And this is something that I'm interested in as well is how, the power of persuasion. How do you, and is it possible to change people's minds about topics that are deeply ingrained, whether it's cultural or, or whatever your upbringing, whatever it was, I find, I think it's almost impossible, almost impossible. Yeah. It's yeah, like, it's even, really though, even though, because I think these conversations that we're having and, and talking about the female athlete paradox, talking about it, uh, only fans and objectifying women, sexualizing women, it's good for essentially girls or guys who might be in the same situation experiencing that so that they can understand better, you know, how other people think of them and why they shouldn't feel that way. Or, you know, it's just for, for essentially for us to, I hate the word normalize because it's been overused, but 
just so we can normalize what we are doing and justify it or feel better about ourselves. But it's never, I don't expect that any of these conversations are going to change anybody's mind. It's impossible. Yeah, it's, you know, it's really interesting. Like internal bias is really, really interesting because even the other day, so like I said, I'm, I'm not really big on social media. I don't really scroll through. I only follow a couple hundred people and it's like all either researchers, sports scientists or lifters, you know? And, and so I don't really scroll through a whole lot, but the other day I saw someone like one of my friends post something and he wrote, um, I 100% support the government uh, enforcing um, enforcing mandatory vaccinations, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, wow, I'm really surprised. And so for me, I'm very libertarian. So I'm like, I don't think you can force bodily autonomy, like you can remove bodily autonomy. So me, I'm, I was very against that. And I'm like, this is crazy, but I'm not really a big commenter. So I like, I looked in some of the comment section and everyone's like, just read, I kept seeing these, these comments where it's like, reread it, reread it, just reread the post. And so I reread it like four times. And it's like, I fully support the vaccination. And it took me five times. And on the fifth read, I finally saw that it said, I 100% support government mandated vacations. That's and so-, so many people were lighting this guy up in the comment section. And I was like, oh my God. And like, you know, because of the current COVID state, because of a lot of the threats. And it's like, I read it four times and just projected my own meat, my own interpretation on it. And it was really wild because that was such a great reminder of like how strong our own internal biases are. And, and like, I mean, I do research reviews. That's like 60% of my jobs are research reviews, you know? And so like, I have to be very objective. All my articles are very neutral. They just kind of present the evidence. And yet here I am still looking at this from a very specific biased lens. And I was like, wow, you know? Yeah, and, you just, uh, and it's crazy. I just want to jump into it right away. Yeah, absolutely. So, so that, that was a really, it was a really interesting reminder of like, no matter how objective you think you are, you always will have a bias. And, and like you said, it's like, you know, your upbringing, your history, your, your life experiences all kind of shape this stuff. Um, so I, you know, I, I thought that was a really interesting lesson. You know what are, What's your background, like uh, academically? I actually don't have a strong academic background. Like I, I took I took diplomas and stuff like that. I just I'm kind of a nerd and I read a lot. So okay, okay like, that's you're a scientist. So <laughs> a bit of a stretch, but okay. <laughs> so yeah, no, you are you are. Um, the awareness that people like you and I have about internal bias and about just thought formation is what allows us to be able to read something. And even though, even if you do have, or you have already formed an opinion about whatever you're reading about, you're able to remove yourself from that and look at data and look at the facts objectively. And for a short period of time, remove those biases and try, try to see the other side. But I think most people are not, they don't have, they don't have that awareness of, okay, like I have, you know, I've been programmed this way for my entire life, but this person is saying that is there's another way. Okay, let me look at it from their point of view. What are they saying? What are the facts that they're presenting? Why could they be right? Or why could they be less wrong than me? People lack the ability to do that. And that's, honestly, that's a big problem in this country. Just how yeah. unable are to, to, listen to other people's points of view, accept it, 
um, analyze it and potentially change their minds. You know, I think it, it's, man, it's a problem. Yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult. So <clears throat> prepare for the smoothest transition in uh, podcast history. Um, <laughs> one of the things that I wanted to, uh, to find out was whether or not you feel the need to be a role model. Because I'm, I'm, I've seen people kind of project that on you. And anytime you do have a certain amount of influence, you know, it is kind of at least hoped that you are going to be a role model for, for you know, children and women and whatever it might be. Uh, do you feel the need to do that? Um, I don't necessarily would call it a need, but, you know, okay, so. Sorry, pressure. Pressure. To a certain extent, yeah. To a certain extent, yeah, because I think I'm in I'm in a very unique position, um, just given the amount of exposure that I have and and kind of my my life trajectory being so focused on on school and athletics and business. I think I have a really interesting uh, perspective to offer, um, and kind of a, a unique and interesting perspective and and trajectory that might be, you know motivational or inspiring for for other people just given all of the barriers that we're put on as females so I think that yeah I'm in a position where I kind of have to own that and I'm in a position where I think I can help a lot of people and you know from from a very young age I, I don't necessarily believe in life purpose but I do believe in in finding something you know, finding meaning in your life through fulfillment, not necessarily through happiness, but it's, there's a difference between happiness and fulfillment. Happiness is something that comes and goes. There's industries that are dedicated towards making you dump money for this thing that'll make you happy or this, read this book so you can be happy. Being happy is like any other emotion. You're sad, you're happy, you're, you're, you're upset. You're, it's just another human emotion. It's not something that we should try to seek. We should try to seek fulfillment and meaning in life. So for me, one of the things that brings me the most fulfillment and the most meaning is being able to help other people, to service others. I, I honestly think that that's what I was put on this earth to do. You know, call it purpose, call it meaning, call it whatever you want. It's, it's what makes me happy, what makes me feel fulfilled. So, yeah, to a certain extent, I do feel that responsibility. And in, in, in I feel like I'm just, to not do it, would, to not follow through with that would be irresponsible. No, I definitely, so I'm planning on writing a children's book with my sister. It's kind of like a family project, but it's a children's book that it's essentially about my life. You know, how um, I was always, um, it's kind of like the, the, the person going against the grain and, and a tomboy and not really like accepted by other girls and had a hard time finding my place in, in just kind of like, with friends or socially um, moving into cracking a male dominated industry, like the fitness industry, uh, participating in male dominated sports, like powerlifting and even boxing and how that's made me feel, how that's been empowering all the things, you know, all the struggles, all the things that I've had to go through all kind of like the, the, the central topic of this children's book is going to be essentially the limitations that are placed on you by society. So the way I envision it is like, you're essentially given a map when you're a young kid and you're given a map that has a bunch of options. And the thing that happens with a map is that the territory that's portrayed in the map 
are the ones that the person who wrote the map was able to discover. But that doesn't doesn't depict an accurate picture of what's actually there and what what more land is available or what other options are available. It's just the ones that they've been able to see. So essentially, it's an outdated perspective of what you could do. And I find that analogy so relevant with just the way that uh, our, our education system works. Just think about starting a, starting a career now, like if you're going into college now, the job that you're going to do after those four years doesn't even exist at the beginning of school. And you know what? I was in my second year of, uh, of undergrad when one of my advisors said that to me. They're like, you know, don't worry about being so focused on exactly what you need to be doing because likely what you're going to do doesn't even exist. And spot on. Like, look what I'm doing. You know, I made my own job. I essentially, I scratched that map and yeah, I used it as a guide, right? I went to college. I got my doctorate level degree. I did follow certain paths, but then from there, I kind of created my own. So that's going to be part of the, of uh, the topic of the book, just to kind of encourage young children to, to explore for themselves, you know, and not let themselves be limited by the expectations of society and in the past that is predetermined for them by their teachers or their parents or family members or friends or the internet or whatnot. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of, a lot of bad can be done having a, a large public uh, presence, but a lot of good can be done. And I, and I really, I, I want to capitalize on the fact that I have people looking at me just to make the world better. You know? That's awesome. Yeah, I didn't know that you were uh, kind of invested in a project like that. Yeah. So we're, we're coming up on that hour mark. And so I want to be respectful of your time. Just one last question. What was probably one of the biggest realizations uh, that you've had kind of going through this process over the last 10 months or year? You mean specific to the whole uh, female thing, female yeah. happy thing? One of the biggest realizations that I've had. Realizations or impacts, like what, what sort of changes have you actually noticed that have happened in your life as a result of some of the behaviors you've, uh, you've kind of transitioned into? Yeah, honestly, the, the, the biggest impact that it has had on me is just my, my self-confidence and self-image. You know, I've, I've never considered myself good-looking whatsoever i've always been i've been everybody's wingman you know if it's a group of uh five girls and me i'm literally the wingman for random guys to get with my girlfriends you know i never even put myself in when hayden first uh messaged me on instagram when he slid into my dms i genuinely thought he wanted me to hook him up with one of my friends i was like oh yeah you want me to uh you know tell ali to come to lunch he's like no i'm inviting you to lunch and i was like what me you don't want me to like, you know, introduce you to the other girls in the gym. So yeah, just looking at myself from, from a different lens, from a different perspective, gave me so much, gave me a lot of confidence, you know, and, and, and made me appreciate the way that I look, the way my body looks for what it is. You know, it's different. It's not like, it's not like, it's not like everybody else's body, but it's mine. And, and I'm proud of it because of what it can do. So. That's awesome. So where can people find you? 
Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Steffi Cohen or YouTube Steffi Cohen. Uh, and you can check out all of our programs at hybridperformancemethod.com. Awesome. Well, it was a fantastic chat. Really, really interesting to hear, uh, you know, your perspective on this and just kind of hear some of the tangents that you went off on. You mentioned that book. It was called The Female Athlete Paradox. Is that right? Yeah. Well, that's not the name of the book, but oh, it's okay. the, the central topic. Okay, cool. Well, I'll, I'll definitely have to look into that because it's fairly interesting. So yeah, thank you so much for jumping on. It was it was great. Uh, I know everyone is going to come away with with a ton. I don't have a massive female following, I don't believe. But uh, <laughs> e even just for me, like, it's really cool hearing that side. Because again, like, I, I just don't experience that stuff, right? So a lot of the stuff is, I'm aware of it, but it's somewhat foreign to me until you actually kind of get firsthand uh, perspective of this stuff. So you surprised how many guys actually end up showing this podcast to their girlfriends. I've met so many, so many girls like at expos and stuff that they're like, oh yeah, my boyfriend showed me your Instagram profile or your boyfriend showed me your videos like that. So even if you don't have female followings right now, I'm sure it'll get to them. That's awesome. Yeah. All right, Steffi, take care. Thank you.